Hello, everyone. I'm Caspi Bias, and you're listening to Adulting 101, the podcast. This show covers all you need to know about how to survive adulthood and life after college. Today, we're talking about how to set boundaries as a freelancer. As young professionals enter into their first jobs, they may be interested in making some extra cash. Freelancing or selling your own services outside of your own regular salary job is a great way to side hustle, but it's essential to set boundaries as a freelancer. Here to speak with me on this topic today is my friend, Amy Russ. Amy is a successful freelancer located in Atlanta, Georgia. She provides K-12 tutoring services and data analytics services to businesses throughout Georgia. Hi, Amy. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Adulting 101. Hi, Gatsby. Thanks for having me. Let's jump into our first question for today. How exactly did you get into freelancing? So that's actually a twofold question because I do two different kinds of freelancing jobs. So for tutoring, I got into that in undergrad, trying to make extra money to pay for books. So I reached out to a couple of friends who recommended that, hey, you should get into tutoring and try and teach undergrad students or really K through 12 as a good way to make money. And so I actually went to my college's career services and I talked to them about it and they helped me find my first client. So that's how I got into tutoring. For the data analytics piece, I've got into that by simply making sure to network really well outside of my current job in my current workforce and just letting folks know, hey, you know, I have this data analytics background that I really want to continue to use these skills. You know, if there's something out there for me, let me know. And so by ensuring that I develop that network and keep that conversation going, I'm able to move into that arena as a freelancer. You must be really busy then as far as occupying uh, two of your own businesses and also working full-time as well. Yeah, I am pretty busy, but I also make sure to your point you mentioned earlier to set boundaries around that time and to make sure that my clients really understand that my time with them is based off of the time I've set aside for them. And so setting those boundaries around what is required, what I've been hired to do, what's the time commitment has been instrumental in ensuring that the businesses are successful, as well as make sure that I have that free time to actually have a life. Right. Yes. Having a life is important. You definitely need that. You know, there are good clients and then there are clients that you may need to spend more time on, per se. How do you deal with difficult clients? So before anything is discussed in detail, before anything is signed, before I even, in the case of data analytics, even look at their data, I set the boundaries of what the expectations are, what my working time will be, what the pay rate will be. All those expectations are set in the beginning so that when it comes to those kinds of questions, they're already resolved. Now, if the client becomes difficult throughout the um, process, I make sure to emphasize that in this case, as a freelancer, this is what the expectations are. And if you don't believe that I mean those expectations, we need to discuss next steps. I'm always very firm in that and keeping that communication channel open because if you're not communicating, then you're going to have problems. And I always make sure, again, to emphasize what those expectations are for clarity. So that there's no doubt in anyone's mind what those expectations are and if I'm going to hit those goals or not. By doing all those things, difficult clients are generally managed pretty well because there's no confusion that will lead the situation to escalate. 
So that's really important, again, is that communication, setting the boundaries, clarity around expectations have all been key with managing these difficult clients when I get them. How do you gain the confidence or maintain the confidence in upholding such boundaries with clients? Because freelancers already know the struggle (laughs) that just follows after you start providing your services. You've got to stand your ground with work hours. You've got calls that may be coming in during the weekends. You've got requests of clients saying, oh, hey, can you provide this one more revision? Can you do this one tiny little change? And you're like, all right, you already paid me or or whatever. Am I getting additional income? And the client's like, no. How do you maintain your honesty and encourage in displaying your boundaries towards your clients? To really sum it up, when clients are in that kind of mode that you're describing, right? This additional mode or I want extra. For me, it's always being phrased as a, think of it like a scale. I can do this for you, but in return, this either has to go or this extra thing has to happen. And so by putting it in those kinds of phrasing and using those kinds of words, it forces the client to make that decision. And then once that decision is made, you always, of course, summarize it, recap it, and send it back to them for confirmation in writing. And that's the other thing is that by putting it in writing, that courage comes out. When things are in writing, you stick to it. Never want to be wishy-washy is the best term for it. So keep it in writing and make sure to put it in a way where they understand they're either giving something up. If you want me to do this extra thing, then the time you want me on this other project has got to go down. Or there's something additional that needs to happen, be it additional income. And per, again, going back to what the first question was, the expectation, here's my rate. So this is what I'm expecting from you. And here's the rules for that. So I need 25% upfront and then we'll continue the work. Again, having all that set up and ready so that you can refer back to it and send it to the client when it gets to that point is very key. It can be difficult just trying to get to those clients, as you were saying, trying to set those boundaries, but it has to be done. You've got to set those limits. And then if the client gets angry and tries to be like, oh, you didn't answer this, you've got to say like clearly here, as you were saying, you got to have things written down. I said that my hours were this to this and I have a full-time opportunity, you know, da, 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 da. Just letting them know these are my boundaries and actually sticking to them as well. Exactly. That is key is communication, set those boundaries and stick to the boundaries. Because the other thing I found out is once you get out and you decide to make that one exception, somehow the word spreads and then you're stuck in a pickle where someone goes, yeah, but I talked to... XYZ, where I got your name from, and they said you did it for them. You don't want to build up that expectation that you'll make those exceptions outside those boundaries. It sounds like you've had previous experience with that. Yes. When I first started, yes. What exactly did you do to make sure that you went back to your boundaries? They were like, well, you responded to this last time. What was your strategy as far as going back to your own boundaries that you had set and standing firm in your ground? The way it that usually works out for me is that, especially when it's a client who's making that kind of comment, I always refer back and say, you're right, I did. And I usually will have a reason as to why I respond outside of my usual boundaries. So it's a quick response. Mm -hmm. Oh no, you're pivoting this table wrong. No, something really quick that I can get to. So that'll go outside my boundaries. Mm -hmm. But to get back to them, I always respond and say, you're correct, I did respond at that time. However, per our previous conversations or previous boundaries set, this is where I stand. 
I made an exception for that one case because it appeared to be X, Y, Z. So there should be a reason as to why you went outside your boundary. And then you get back into that boundary. Mm -hmm. Or if there's not a reason because you felt, and this happened to me where I felt bad for the client because they were clearly not in a good spot and they were panicking. And then that comes up again. I just responded and said, you're right. I did respond. Mm -hmm. However, going forward, I will no longer continue to respond in this manner. These are the boundaries that were set. Stay firm in your commitment to your boundaries. At that point, you don't want clients to take advantage of your time. You don't want clients to take advantage of your goodwill either. That is so true. Has there ever been a point in time where you may have got a big client and you're like, okay, so I need to set these boundaries. Has there ever been a time in which you were afraid to lose that client because of the amount or the percentage that they were willing to provide to you? And if so, what exactly did you do moving forward? What was your strategy behind that? My strategy behind that, and that has happened, is to really sit down and this becomes less to do with the client and more to do internally with myself. So for me to sit down and go, okay, do you, in a way, give up on that integrity, that morality that you set aside for yourself in regards to understanding why you freelance and having that balance for this additional income? Or do you stand your ground and say, you know, okay, I'm okay with us not working together because I cannot meet these expectations that you're additionally setting aside? That is always a question when it comes to situations that I have to ask myself. And every time that's happened, it's always been, I'm willing to give this up. For me, in regards to freelancing, and really this is actually diving into a bigger question is why do you freelance? If I was freelancing because I wanted these two opportunities to be more of a full-time, I work for myself kind of thing, then that would be a harder decision. But I'm not freelancing for that reason. My reason for freelancing is simply because I want to continue to grow certain skills that as I move up to my full-time job, I'm not going to be able to tap into any longer. So data analytics has been my bread and butter. I've been doing it for a long time. But the in-depth data analytics that I used to do, as I move up throughout the organization I work for, I'm not going to be able to do that anymore. So I've freelanced in that area to keep those skills sharp and to stay within that arena. And so it makes it easier for me to be willing to lose clients or give up clients or just reject clients or even shed clients, which is what I had to do recently because of that. So to shed clients, to email clients, say, hey, you know what, we've been working for a while, but going forward, I'm going to have to discontinue my services. So to shed a client, to let them know we can no longer work together because I'm not freelancing to be my own boss. How do you balance freelancing with a full-time job? How do you keep those boundaries at work so that you can focus on your freelancing business? It boils down to the realization that my freelancing business, if it were to go away, I would be sad because I enjoy what I do, but that's not where my time should be spent. And so my freelancing businesses are ones where I'm okay with more openly communicating, hey, this can't be done or I don't have the time or the capacity to do this versus my job, which comes first. That is always in regards to if I'm looking at the two, that is always top priority. So there's not really a need for me to communicate freelancing to my job simply because it's always top priority. In the beginning, how did you determine how much clients would pay you for each freelance opportunity? So for the tutoring services, I actually Googled how much tutors make, right? And there's a couple of companies where they let you sign up for their site and they'll pair you with 
a family or you can find a family and they'll mention a going rate. So I looked at that for my area as well as around Georgia and took an average and said, okay, I'll charge about this much. Also, I decided on a pricing structure based off of what I'm tutoring, right? Because certain things take more time and cost more to tutor in. So that was something as I was researching tutoring and how much tutors make, I had to take into consideration. Because for example, if I'm tutoring someone and I'm teaching English as a second language, that is actually a higher price point than tutoring a middle schooler in math. And that information is very much available for folks to look at. Got it. For data analytics, that was a little bit tricky. Again, there was research involved, but I went more to sites like LinkedIn, all those sites that will kind of give a general pricing structure about what a data analyst makes a year. And then I calculated that to the hour. And then I took into consideration, okay, how much, how many years have I done this? Because I may be able to charge a higher price point because I've got that background. So again, it's no different really in summation than if I was to go into a company and they had made me an offer and I was negotiating my pay. It's no different. If you've not negotiated your pay, that's exactly what you should be doing. Got it. Yeah. So when you are determining how much somebody's going to pay you, not only determine your price, but also gaining that confidence as to why you should be paid that much because you've done X amount of research and you've had X amount of experience. And this is what research has told you. Has there ever been a time to where a client may have pushed on asking for a certain price instead of what you had originally proposed? And how exactly did you handle that? Did you negotiate? In that case, when they pushed back and wanted a lower price, I said, okay, if that's what you're willing to pay, I can only give you A and B. You want A, B, C, this is the price point. If you're willing to pay for this and this is what you're willing to say, then I can give you A and B. Right. Well, I can give you this for this price, your decision. Exactly. I give it and I take it away. <laughs> we can provide the best service for you. This is what works with the budget that you're providing me. Exactly. What other tips or advice did you have for young professionals who either may be leaving college or who may be starting in the workforce um, and starting that freelancing opportunity? Those tips that no one told you about that you wish you had known going into freelancing. I would say I have two. The first is after you have finished the work for your first client, take the time to sit down and write down what went well and what didn't. And that's going to help you better understand your work style and as well as how you can better continue to grow your freelancing business. Always do that after your first client. And then I would say make it a habit to do that after every two to three clients. Again, what went well, what didn't go well. And even at that point, what was just weird? What was the weird stuff that was a curveball that you never saw coming? What do you mean by weird? Oh dear, the number of weird curveballs I got. So <laughs> one client I had, and this is in data, one of the oddest curveballs was that their data knowledge was good, but they had gaps in data places that didn't necessarily make sense with the knowledge that they had. That's an odd curveball. Mm -hmm. And so for me, as a data person, I had to go back and really sit down and think to myself, outside the question, how did you do that? <laughs> okay, how do, I, how do I overcome this? And then I wrote that down and saying, okay, maybe not all data professionals are created equal. Mm -hmm. And learn that span of going from one data resource to another to another in a progression that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say that's odd. The 
other thing I would say to do is at the end of every year as you're a freelancer, sit down and say and ask yourself the question, why do I do it? Why do I freelance? Right. Because that could change. Maybe in 2021, at the end of that year, as the new year comes around, it may be, you know what? I think I want this to be my bread and butter. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But ask yourself that question so you can recalibrate your expectations, which is going to feed into recalibrating any future client's expectations. That's going to be key to then guiding you throughout the rest of your career for that year. So that's my two. And I actually just saw the third one. As a freelancer, pay your taxes. Set the money aside to pay your taxes. Don't be blindsided. Don't. That has never happened to me because that was the first thing I thought of as a freelancer. Set that money aside. Make sure you pay your taxes. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Amy, for participating in this episode of Adulting 101. And thank you, audience, for listening. I'm Caspi Bias. Talk to you next time. Remember to subscribe to Adulting 101, the podcast, and follow me on social media. LinkedIn at Caspi Bias or on Instagram at C-A-S-B-I-A-S. Adulting 101 is a part of C-Bias Productions. For more podcasts, please visit Spotify or Apple Podcasts.